want to get into the word this morning. Uh, I walked into the auditorium and I said, uh, where is everybody today? And then I, I, I realized, I think they all took the bus to Oregon to watch the eclipse. <laughs> so hopefully they take good pictures. <clears throat> the last couple of weeks, we, we dealt with our ability to see behind the scenes. We dealt with seeing what, what no one else sees. And we talked about Elisha and the servant. You remember that message? It's important for us to be able to see behind the scenes, to, to, to know what God is up to when you can't see anything physically happening. I, I love the words of the last song that we sang. I think one of the phrases, it's a new song, so one of the phrases uh, said, um, I'm waiting, but I'm not waiting. Uh, and I understand that. That's someone who's seen behind the scenes. They're not looking at what, what they see physically. They're, they're looking at what, what God is up to, what God is at work doing. Uh, last week, we, we taught on hearing, hearing the, the voice of God and then responding. And if you don't, uh, we found from the story of Balaam that jackasses will start speaking into your ear. Uh, a couple of the younger ones came to me and said, that was the best message I ever heard. <laughs> one, of them said, it's, one of them said, it's because you said jackass five times. <laughs> but it's important for us to recognize, to hear the voice of God, and then to respond with obedience. And if you don't, then you're going to have a donkey voice in your ear. Or as we said last week, donkey. Okay. <clears throat> I had planned a different message uh, today as a part of that series. I'm going to leave it, come back to it next week. Uh, I felt it important for me to address some things uh, that are happening in our nation. And so I'm going to do that biblically. As I do, I, it will speak to what's taking place in America today. But there are truths and principles that need application you and I need to apply these truths into our lives and, and not only necessarily in the realm of government and politics and, and America, but in our own lives. Uh, so uh, in watching the events of the past few weeks uh, in our nation, uh, I've been asked many, many times my opinion about the state of the White House, our president, racism in America, all of the protests that are taking place. And frankly, I get tired of hearing people's opinions. I get tired of, hear, of listening to the pundits. I get tired of looking at polls. I get tired of everything that man has to say. Blah, 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 blah. I'm tired of it. And so I went to the Lord. I, I was praying earlier this week, and I said, God, what is my responsibility as a pastor, as a believer? What is my responsibility uh, in terms of the, the, the times? Because in the Old Testament, the Bible says that they knew the seasons and the times that they were in. And so it's important that, that we know as believers the season and the time that, that we're in. And I, I got to thinking about the fact that I have the answer. I have the answer. I have the word. I have the Holy Spirit. And it's not just for the ills of America, but I have the answer to, to the issues and, and circumstances of my life. I actually have all the answers you need. You just need to find them yourself. Which then leads me to today, 
first thing that God began to deal with me about is authority. Authority. I want to talk about our submission to authority. This is today not a message about telling you how you need to follow everything I do. That's not what this is about today. That's not what it's going to be about if I preach on it next week. Nor is it about what I preached on last week. What this is about is our submission to authority. And I'll show you what kind of specific authority. And you can make application to your life uh, in so many different ways. But in particular, our submission to civil and governmental authorities. More to the point, I want to also talk today about our submission to our president. And if there was somebody else in the White House, as there, as there was the past eight years, I'd preach the same thing. Right. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now we're going to do some, some pulling apart of these passages, these first two verses. And uh, that, uh, this is not it. I believe it's Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Can we go there? How many of you have been a little bit concerned about some of the stuff you've seen on the television? I mean, there's rioting, there's violence, there's all kinds of stuff taking place. And uh, you just begin to wonder, what is going on? Here's what the Bible says. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Let's go back to verse 1. First of all, uh, who are the governing authorities this is talking about? In this specific text, Paul is referring to civil or governmental authorities, those who are ruling governmentally. Uh, notice the opening line, let every soul. So what it's saying to all of us today is no one is exempt. Right now in our White House, we have a Republican. If you are a Democrat, you're not exempt. The last eight years, we had a Democrat. If you are a Republican, you are not exempt. Exempt from what? Being subject or in submission to the governing authorities. Why? Because there is no authority that's in place except from God, or except that God has allowed it. Right. Now listen, we've had a lot of people in the White House maybe who shouldn't be in the White House. We've had a lot of leaders in various nations who shouldn't be leading. But the Bible says they aren't there except that God allowed them to be there. Right. Sometimes he allows them to be there because you and I have messed up. And we're screaming for things that we want that he doesn't want for us. And so like Israel, he lets us have them. Israel wanted leaders uh, that God didn't want them to have. But they bellyache so long and so loud that uh, he said, all right, I'll allow it. See how that worked out. For there is no authority except from God. Everyone. Every soul, every person is subject to governing authorities. Let me just say this. Every single one of us have to be people under authority. There are no free agents in the body of Christ. There are no loners in the body of Christ. You may think you're a loner. You may think you're a free agent. 
You may think you are an individual. People ask, well, what, what denomination are you a part of? And I, I used to say, well, we're independent. I don't say we're independent anymore. I just say we're non-denominational. But we aren't independent. If we are, we're, we're in trouble. We can't be independent from the rest of the body of Christ, nor can an individual believer be independent from the body of Christ. We are joined. We are connected. The Bible in, in Ephesians chapter 4 says that we are so joined and so connected that, that God will use us as different parts to become who he desires us to become. And you can't do that as an individual. Every joint supplies, Scripture says. So everyone must be subject or in submission to governing authorities. This phrase subject to is the word hupotasso in, the, in Thayer's Greek uh, dictionary. It means a voluntary attitude of giving in, to cooperate, to arrange. Why? Because there is no authority that exists apart from God's appointment. Apart from the fact that God has arranged it. Period. End of discussion. The word appointed, tasso, means to assign, to ordain, to set in place. So in regards to government leadership, God gets to do that. We vote in our democratic society. We vote. But God is the one who appoints. God is the one who sets. How many of you are still glad you came to church today? Amen. Verse 2. Therefore, or as a result of what we have just learned in verse 1, resist authority. Remember, context, governmental, civil authority. Resist authority and you're resisting the ordinance of God. Resisting the ordinance of God. And you're bringing judgment on yourself. Listen. For eight years, I kept a close watch on this tongue of mine. when President Obama was in office. And now in this first year of our new president, I've had to keep a close watch on this tongue of mine. Why? Because both were ordained of God. Both were allowed or to, to be set in, as this says, a position of being an ordinance of God. And for those who resist, will bring judgment on themselves. Acts chapter 23, verse 5, when Paul was before the council giving his own defense, having been arrested, he said these words, I, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Why? Because you're, Romans chapter 13, because you're speaking evil of God's plan. 
God's ordinance. You're speaking evil of, of the trust that the Lord is working through an imperfect person to bring about his plan and his will. What we see is the outward expression. God sees the inward. What we try to work on is the outward. Lord, I, I wish that they would give me President Trump for a week in my office. Because I would tell them exactly how to do things. <laughs> exactly how to communicate. Exactly how not to communicate. But it's not my assignment. So, I have to make sure that I do my assignment. What is my assignment? Don't speak evil of a ruler of your people. Why? Because if I do, then I am speaking evil of God working through an imperfect person. Just like he works through this imperfect person. Just like he works through those imperfect people before me. See, I try, I, we try to fix the outward. Don't, don't press send on that Twitter feed. Don't do it. Don't do it. See, we're trying to fix the outward. And God's at work in the heart. God's at work in the heart. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. See, my, my goal today is that you're going to have a little different view uh, of, of things so that you know how to pray. You know how to be the believer that you're supposed to be. But not only for our nation, our present, but also in your life. Because there are some things that apply to how we live here that um, are real important for us to get. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. In the first epistle of Peter, persecution was strong against the Jewish believers. And Peter, in this book, is encouraging them to hold fast to their character under persecution and for their conduct to be rooted in submission to those who are persecuting them, who are their leadership. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now hold on for a moment right there. Because we've often viewed this, and, and, and rightly so, as a, a general uh, a bit of advice for all of us, a commandment for all of us. But actually set in the context, this verse, when it says, to abstain from fleshly lust, we're going to see that contextually it's a reference to our response to governmental authorities who aren't doing what we think they should be doing, who aren't operating the way we think they should be operating. And the Bible says, abstain from what your flesh wants to do. Abstain from it. Verse 12. Let your conduct be honorable among the Gentiles. That's who is persecuting them. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Listen, everything that you and I are as believers, um, we, we need to go hard after 
the promise of God, the word of God. We need to go hard after the example that we live in the word of God because people are watching us and they're going to observe our lives, what we're living, what we're saying, how we are living, and, and, and they're going to observe us. And our, our conduct, our words, our, our trust in God, our believing God, the results which we have in our life are going to either glorify God or they're going to, they're going to label us as someone who's just like them, someone who lives in the flesh or lives after the flesh. Next verse says this, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as the supreme leader in the land. This word ordinance here um, in the margin of my Bible is the word institution. Institution. Um, the governmental institutions that, that we have set up in America are the judicial, the, judicial, the executive, and the uh, legislative branches or, or, uh, or institutions of our government. And so we say, but pastor, what, what if the, legislation, the legislature, what if they uh, pass a bill that is anti-God, anti-God's word? What if the Supreme Court creates a, a law or upholds a law that is anti-God or, or anti-God's word? What if the president says something that has nothing to do with God or God's word? What can we do? What should we do? I'll tell you what you should do. You should not agree. And you should not participate. But you should still honor the institution, the ordinance that God has set up. And you should do it for the Lord's sake. Why? So there's not chaos. When you have peace, we'll see this later, when, when we pray for our leadership, one of the reasons we pray, purposes we pray for kings and those in authority is so that we can live a peaceable life. When you live a life of peace, you're able to preach the gospel of peace. You're able to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. So the New Century Version says, submit to the people who have authority in your life. Keep in mind, the king here uh, was, was harsh and was persecuting them. Was, was not being the kind of king that we would want ourselves to be under. And yet... The call is don't yield to the flesh in talking about them. The call is submit to those who have authority in your life. And you don't have to participate in ungodly things. You don't have to agree in ungodly things. But um, it's important. It's important that we honor the institution. Verse 17 says this. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the president. Now, Peter exhorts us to recognize the authority of God that has been vested in the man. Rather than the man himself, the authority of God vested in the man. Are you still with me? See, there's a difference between submission and obedience. To submit to a person or an office is an attitude. To obey is an act. To obey a leader without question or conscience is it, it's, it's not wise and it's not godly. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. 
It's not wise. It's not godly to submit to the God-established office or position is. It's kind of like church. While church is people, it's also an ordained by God institution. And so because the church isn't one person, I am not the church. You are not the church. Together we are the church. Because it's not one person, um, you may come to church and not agree with everything. You may not agree with everything said, everything done. And, and so what should your response be? Leave and get mad? And go find some other place that you can agree with 100% of the time? No, what our response is to be uh, is, is this. I may not agree with everything, but I agree with the institution, the ordinance of God, the church, the people who've been brought together. And so because of that, remember, what is submission about? It's about the heart. So it's, it's, submission is important to you. It's important to God, and it's important to others. So in, in my quest this week, just to make sense of what is happening in America, uh, the Lord first reminded me of what I just taught you from Scripture, and that is this. We need to be in submission to the ordinances of God. All right, next. So what can be done, America? What can be done, America? That's next. What can be done? I want us to go to Hosea chapter 4. And we're going to read about four verses in Hosea chapter 4. Let's begin at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. How do you know that if you're in crisis, you need to do this first and foremost? Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Who does that? Who hears the word of the Lord? I'll tell you who does. Believers. Believers. And then here's the word of the Lord. The Lord brings a charge against you, church. Speaking specifically in the Old Testament to Israel in the New Covenant, New Testament, he speaks to us as the church And here's the charge the Lord has against us. Here's the word of the Lord to us. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Listen, the reason why you can turn on the television and see the mess that's going on in nation after in in major city after major city is because there's no word in the people. There's no knowledge of God and how he works in the people. And so we got a big mess, and the only reason for that mess is there's no truth. There's no word. There's no knowledge of God in America. The next verse then, if the first verse uh, is the cause of America's demise, no, demise, no word. Verse 2 is, descri- is a description then of the symptoms that you if, you, if you look at a nation and you see the symptoms we're about to read, then you know there's not enough word in that nation. All right, so let's look at the symptoms. Verse 2. By swearing and lying. Let's, let's begin with the first word. This word swearing. It's not talking about cussing. Not talking about cursing. Uh, this, this word swearing uh, actually is an agreement. It's an oath. 
what, what the word swearing here is talking about is business. It's talking about bad business. It's talking about a nation who's involved in bad business deals that's bringing financial corruption to the land. Listen, I hope, we, I hope that we've gotten over this by now, but God wants America to prosper financially. Which means then that he wants you to prosper financially. And there's purpose for it. There's reason for it. One is, of course, to establish his word, his covenant in all of the earth. But two, that you might be an example of what it means to live for God. And so uh, if, if you look at your country and your nation and we're tied up in a bunch of bad business deals... And, and oaths and agreements that don't allow us to be prosperous by, by sowing and by trusting and by believing in God, then you know you don't have enough word in you because the financial institutions of, of uh, the country are falling apart. The next, the next word here is lying, and, and, and this just basically is promise broken. Uh, it's, it's, it's lying is... Uh, it's, it's, it's just permeated our government, our, our, our nation, uh, the, the institutions. Uh, there's, there's no truth. And so what's the opposite? That, that's the only thing that can happen. The next one is, is killing. Killing, if it, this is another symptom of not enough word. Uh, killing is murder. I mean, we're talking about abortion here. Then it says Stealing. Really, stealing is a breakdown of human basic morality. You have something I want. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. But I'm going to go get it. That is the, that is the crux of the basis uh, of, of the, the tearing down of the, the very basic principles of morality. You have something you worked hard for? I'm going to get it, even though I didn't work for it. I mean, that is just immoral, immorality. And uh, that, that you see that in our nation. Then it says adultery, which committing adultery. Um, of obviously, uh, physical sex relationships outside of marriage uh, is, is adultery. But this is representative of how messed up we are in regards to sex and, and, and marriage and the family. And, and all. we've made what is sin common. Somebody got to help me today. We've made what is sin common. I mean, look. What, what we have done in America is, is we have tried to fix a problem with the heart, a heart issue, with legislation. It'll never work, will it? It'll never work. You can't fix a heart issue with laws. You can make all the laws you want. If it's against the law of God, it's still sin. I was reminded of a scripture this week. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 
Then it says they break all restraint. They break outside of the box. I mean, that's what has happened in America, hasn't it? Then this phrase, with bloodshed upon bloodshed, and as I dug into this a little bit deeper, I, I saw uh, something that I want to get back to in just a moment. But go to verse 3, uh, and I'll go, come back to that phrase. Verse 3 says, Therefore, as a result of all these symptoms, the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Here again is a classic example of what sin does. What sin does to our environment. Listen, you can make all kinds of legislation and, you know, you can blame, uh, you know, everybody for, for uh, man, for the environment falling apart. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible, by the way, does say take care of, be a good steward of the earth. And I think we need to be stewards of what God has blessed us with in this earth. We need not abuse it. But here's what the Bible says. The land will mourn. The beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea will be taken away. Our environment begins to crumble, not because we necessarily have too many cars, but because we have too much sin. Right. Now, I'm all for emission control. And all. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I don't like pollution as much as the next guy. And anything we can do naturally to fix it, that's great. I'm all for it. But here's the truth. The truth is the environment is destroyed because of sin. That's the truth. That's the truth of God's word. Let's go back to verse 2 because I want to get back to this bloodshed upon bloodshed. Since murder and killing have already been dealt with in this passage and since uh, he's speaking to an individual nation, this speaks to brothers, bloodshed upon bloodshed, brothers in a land. What it speaks to me of is racism. Racism. I want to touch on this for just a moment because people have asked me in the last week about the president's response to violence in Charlottesville. Oh, pastor, don't go there. <laughs> Look, everything that happens in our world, this is where we got to go. Get the answer. Amen. So when you say don't go there, I got to go there. Not to Charlottesville, not to the president, not to, not to the press. I got to go there. Yes. And, and people have asked me, you know, about the president's response to the violence and the protesters and, and the white supremacists and the KKK and all the groups that came together. And as a result, bloodshed, uh, death and, and violence. And then the, the subsequent uh, protest in major cities in America, um, I've saw this morning that there's some being planned in Southern California today and um, there, there's some groups coming together in the sleepy little uh, beach town of uh, where do we like to go? Laguna Beach today at 5 there's, there's, there's going to be something going on and so let's don't go to Laguna Beach today <laughs> but people have asked me about the president's response initially. There's, there, well, there are good people on either side. And um, in the context, I mean, I understand, look, uh, I understand that everybody's looking to 
nail the president to the wall. I understand that. Anybody uncomfortable with this so far? Okay. I, I understand, you know, everybody wants to nail the president to, president to a wall, and, and uh, I understand all of that, and, and he did address it, and he did say it wasn't uh, right. Um, uh, and uh, in the context of the question, um, and the answer, there's good on both sides. I, I just want to say, for me personally, as I see it in the word, um, I can't find, maybe from a legal, legalistic standpoint, there's good in every person who hasn't made a declaration that, that Satan is their Lord. Um, I mean, there are KKK people and white supremacists who love their children, who do anything for them. I, you can call that good. But in the context of racism and violence, uh, you know, you, you got to call it what it is. It's evil. Yeah. It is evil. And I wish the president had, uh, you know, right up front, uh, called it evil. Because the Bible does say, don't call evil good and good evil. I, I wish that had happened. Having said that, my biblical mandate is not to criticize him. My biblical mandate is to honor the king, the appointment God has given him, and to pray for him that he does all the things that God has called him to do. And be the person God has called him to be. Hatred, evil, and darkness do need to be called out. Amen. And in, in, in this church house, I want to lift my voice with, with other pastors who would say the same thing in America. Because I believe truth needs to come from the pulpit. Yes. Not from the press. And, and this is what I, I believe. I believe that wherever there is evil, wherever ever there is darkness, wherever there is prejudice... Wherever there's racism, it needs to be called out as evil. I believe that with all of my heart. I do. Because until you do, you let the devil keep his mask on and hide behind deception. And in your life, until you call out, those things that are binding you up and holding you until you call those things out and name them for what they are. I, Pastor Terry spoke uh, yesterday at men's, and I love what he said. He said, men, at the men's breakfast, he said, men, you, you've, you've got to. You've got to submit your life to the Lord. He says, what, what, what is happening is we're allowing the devil a little place in our life. And so when we do, that little place, it, it gives the devil access in our life. That little place lets him have something over us. And until you get rid of it, he's always got you. You always owe him. Because there are always going to be barriers that you can't cross because he owns a piece of you. And I want to say today that we need to be sure that the devil doesn't own a piece of us. That we call evil, evil. Whenever it rears its ugly head, it needs to be strongly rebuked. And, and I'm glad that in the subsequent days, uh, the president has uh, been doing that more and more. As believers, we know what God's design is. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are, as sons, a family. 
Then the next verse says this, for as many of you as are, were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you're family, then you put on Christ. And now that you put on Christ as family, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's not black. There's not white. There's just believers. As a boy, we would sing in church, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. One, I didn't know that, that when I was singing it as a little boy that that song was inappropriate in a lot of ways. And two, I wondered why God didn't love little brown boys, because we didn't sing about it. But we will never fix racism. In the White House, in the State House, in the Courthouse, we'll never fix racism. Racism can only be cured by putting on Christ. And when you got a bunch of people banging on each other, and committing violence against each other, and saying evil things against each other based on the color of skin, then you've got a bunch of people who you have just identified who need truth and who need knowledge of God. And until they get the knowledge of God, they are never going to be free of their... I don't care how many... uh, Black lives matter, white lives matter, brown lives matter, blue lives matter. I don't care how many meetings you have and how many protests you have. I understand the plight of those who have, who have been for generations and centuries trodden down and kicked. I understand the pain of racism. I've experienced it myself in some measure. I understand it. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I have got to be willing to forgive and move on and put on Christ and be an example. You can't fix sin. You can only repent and move on into Christ. So it's time for me to quit. So what can we do? Because that was the nature of my inquiry of God as I was in prayer this week. What can we do as believers in America? Uh, Well, first of all, Galatians 3, we can put on Christ. Put on Christ. Secondly, we can pray. Whenever America's been in crises, we've had to bring out the big guns. And the big guns? Prayer. Not our military might. It's prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For all men. For kings, the next verse says. For presidents. For those who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a quiet life, a life of peace, a life of godliness, and a life of reverence. That word reverence means, if my margin of my Bible, and then I looked it up, says prominent place. The word reverence here actually means influence. Now let's just take it from the, the nation for a moment, from our nation's leaders, and, and take it to your life, where you're living. 
Verse 1 says you ought to be praying this over yourself, all men. Verse 2 says here's what you ought to be praying over yourself, that your life is quiet, free of of, uh, unnecessary conflict that you may bring upon yourself, that you would leave a peaceable life. It doesn't mean a life that isn't challenged by the enemy or by the circumstances of life, but a life of peace through all that challenge. Because you know the, the word, you have knowledge of the word, and you can lead a peaceable life even in a storm, even in turmoil, you can live, live in peace. As the song said, you can wait while you're not waiting. So you can live a godly life. Pray that over yourself. I'm going to live a godly life and a life of influence. I want to be a person of influence. I want my family to be a family of influence. I want the church family to be a a, a family of influence. I want the body of Christ internationally, nationally. I want the body of Christ. God desires the body of Christ to influence every single mountain that is established, every ordinance, everything that is set in place to lead. I I believe we are to be people of influence. So those are the things you should be praying for yourself as well as leaders. And then the, the last thing is simply this. Be the church. Be the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9. You as living stones... That means you got to be alive. God doesn't need dead Christians. He doesn't need Christians who are asleep at the will. He needs living stones. He doesn't need rocks that are not moving. He needs living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house. That means there's no loners in the body of Christ. A house uh, it houses all of us, and we are spiritual. We are built up into it as a holy priesthood. That's who we are to be, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, it, it carries on by saying this, you are a chosen generation. Consider this. We are a chosen generation. I mean, naturally speaking, you were chose for this time. You could have been born in 1898 and parked your horse outside when you came to church today. But he didn't choose you for that era and that time. He chose you for today. Rise up, church. You're chosen for this time. Rise up. Be who you were called to be in this generation. A chosen generation. God doesn't need the body of Christ to be limping along. We are called to brush off those things that knock us down and stand back up and walk the walk of faith. We're not told to lay down and and nurse our wounds for the rest of our lives. That's not the church. That's not the body of Christ. That's not the chosen generation. We're told to get up and walk out this walk of faith. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. That means you are a spiritual leader 
called to make a holy nation. We are his own special people. If we could get a hold of this, if we could see ourselves as God sees us, we wouldn't be messing around with the stuff we mess around with. Forgive my English. We've been called to proclaim the praises of him. I, I just don't understand. And by the way, I'm not talking about this morning because my eyes were closed. But I still understand people who don't just freely give themselves to God when we come together and worship right. as one. I mean, wow. We're called to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Come on, chosen generation. It's who we are. It's who we are. So uh, do I look at what's going on and say, Lord, America's going to hell in a handbasket. Lord, what are we going to do? No. It, it just means it's time to turn up the fire. Time to bring out the big guns. <clears throat> I believe we can protect our children prayer. I believe we can protect our nation from those who would want to destroy it. Prayer. I believe we can protect the promise of God. Prayer. But you can pray all you want. If you don't do the other things that God has called you to do, submit with an attitude of the heart to those he is allowed to be set in place and pray for influence and peace and godliness. Unless we do those things, I mean, we, we can pray until we rub holes in our genes and it's, it's not going to do any good. Let's be the church. Let's be the chosen generation, the royal priesthood, the holy nation that we've been called to be. We don't live in darkness. We live in light. Father, thank you for the light of your word. Let it not be said of us as believers in this house, in this community, in this state, in this nation, that our land is devoid of the word, that our lives have no knowledge. God, people are destroyed. Nations are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. May a hunger for all that you are, all that you do, all that you've spoken to us in your written word, may a hunger for it grow and increase in us. May our prayer lives be attached to what we know. And may we see the change that needs to take place in America. We say, God bless America because we mean it. We say, God bless America because we know we as a nation have an assignment. We say, God bless America, because we are an example to the world of what the word of God in people can do. Lord, let us return to those roots of our nation that we were founded on, simply living, believing, trusting you and your word. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together. Close your eyes for a moment. If you don't know Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord today, if you're not right with God, this is your moment. 
this is the time God has set aside for you. If you don't know Jesus, I want to introduce you to the Son of the living God. He's God's one and only Son. He was sent to this earth to live as a man, to experience the temptations we experience, to experience the physical pain that we experience. He was sent to this world to bleed as we bled. He was sent to this world to die as we all will die. And the reason he was sent was so that he could be the answer for your need. He could take your place. Sin entered the world through Adam. And it caused distance between God, separation between God and man. Oh, how he loves you. He loves you so much. He sent his only son to die for you. His death, burial, and resurrection provides you a way back to God that sin brought separation to. And, and, and his death, burial, and resurrection allows you, if you'll receive his death, burial, and resurrection, it allows you to live the dream God has for you on this earth and to have eternal life, to live free of sin that his blood will cover. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, name, move upon the hearts of men and women here today. If you're here and you want me to pray with you, if you're here and you want to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, in this first service, if you're here and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you want to quit trying to do it on your own and submit to God with your hearts and take action with your mouth, saying, I believe you, Jesus, are the Son of God, died on the cross and rose again for me. I want to live your word. I want to live every promise that you have made to me. If that's you and you want prayer, you want to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, or you want to come back home to him, you're away from him. If that's you and you want me to pray with you, I want you quickly to lift your hand, wave it at me. I want to see it. Pastor, it's me. I need Jesus. Pastor, it's me. I want to get right with God. Pastor, it's me. I want to come back home to the Lord. It's me. Anyone here? Anyone in this first service? Anyone at all? Let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, forgiving me, being the Lord of my life. I believe that you, Jesus, are the Son of God, died on the cross and rose again. I receive you as Lord and Savior. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen.